KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. This is Ezra Bet from Yeshiva Taretzion in Gush Etzion. Today's shiv is on Parshat Shavua and will be given by Harav Shlomo Dov Rosen. After the shiv, I'll be back with the Halacha Yomit. In this week's Parsha, Parashat Bo, the Torah begins teaching us the parshiot which relate to particular mitzvot. Not only stories, as we've had from the beginning, but mitzvot that the Torah commands us. The Rashi at the beginning of the Torah talks about the question of whether there could be any value to talking about stories when we're not teaching halachot. And with our parsha, we start the halachot, the mitzvot of the Torah. Now, most of the mitzvot which come out in these first parshiot of the Torah, talking about halacha, are related to Yitziat Mitzrayim, to coming out of Egypt and keeping Pesach at that time and later, and various mitzvot to do with remembering Yitziat Mitzrayim. One particular exception, or perhaps special case, is that of Tfilin. We are taught the parsha of Tfilin, actually two parshiot of Tfilin, at the end of Parashat Bo. And we have to ask ourselves what relevance that has to Yitziat Mitzrayim, what this might teach us about the mitzvah of tefillin, and furthermore, what maybe we can learn from the mitzvah of tefillin to other mitzvot, to all the mitzvot of the Torah, because of its special place at the beginning of mitzvot, at the beginning, even before the giving of the Torah, of presenting the world of mitzvot. The particular verse which is of importance for us is in chapter Yud Gimel, Pasuk it shall be as a sign on your hand and as a remembrance between your eyes in order that the Torah of God shall be in your mouth remember the Torah has not yet been given for Hashem took us out of Egypt with a strong hand maybe this is connected to the hand with the tefillin and the connection between Tfilin and Yitziat Mitzrayim, or between Tfilin and the Torah, is not yet explained. But what is this remembrance? Now, this is not the only place where we are taught about remembering uh, in conjunction with a particular mitzvah. There are two other mitzvot, and actually, all these three cases are brought explicitly in halachic works as exceptional cases where it is necessary to have some kind of cognitive element in the keeping of the mitzvah. And so, in the Sefer Arbaturim, it appears in Siman Chet, in conjunction with the mitzvah of Tzitzit, in Siman Kafei, in relation to the mitzvah of Tfilin, and in Taf Reish Kafei, all of Orachim, of course, in connection with the mitzvah of Sukkah. In all three, three cases, there is a specific pasuk which teaches us the importance of remembering or awareness or some kind of connection, cognitively or emotionally, when you actually keep the mitzvah. Now, the Bach, in all these three places, makes point of this and discusses it to some extent at length in the mitzvah of Sukkah and Tzitzit, and explains that these three mitzvot are exceptions where, generally speaking, you can keep a mitzvah without any awareness. That is to say, perhaps you need awareness that you are doing a mitzvah, mitzvot 
tzichot kavana, and of course that is a machloket until today, all the way from the time of the Tanaim. Still, these three mitzvot are exceptional in that you need added awareness of a particular message, an aim, that is inherent in the mitzvah. We read what he teaches us in Siman Chet of the Tool. He says like this, Yechaven bit'atvo, ma shechiach lerabbeinu lehorot, debayi sheyechaven bit'atvo, vechen bilchot tefillin ubilchot suka, nire. Delefi shekatu beparashat tzitzit leman tizkeru, uvetfillin vaya lechalot, leman tiyet torat Hashem beficha, ki biyad chazaka, etc. Uvesuka leman yedu dorotechem, yore, this teaches us, all these three special psukim teach us, ki ikar ha-mitzvah vekiyuma, vemein, Keeping of the mitzvah, teluya bekavanata, depends on the intention that you have when you do the mitzvah. Sheichaven bishat kiyum ha-mitzvah, ma she'en ken sh'ar mitzvot, diyotzei dechovatam, afal pi she'lo yechaven badavar, ki im she'osei ha-mitzvot, l'shem Hashem, she'tziva oto la'asotam. Now, such an idea teaches us perhaps also something generally about mitzvot outside these cases as well. But first, let us try to understand the differences between these mitzvot themselves. There is a fundamental difference, and this is connected to what the mitzvah of tzitzit could possibly be. What is the mitzvah of tzitzit? Chazal teach us that you look at the blue, the tchelet, on your tzitzit, and you remember the sea. And in remembering the sea, you remember the sky. And in remembering the sky, you remember God's throne. Now, of course, God's throne doesn't have any particular color because it's not physical. But the idea is that you remember heavenly objects, or that the way we can imagine heavenly objects, by looking at the blue color on your garment. Now, of course, the question would be, if there really, really is such an associative connection, then why do you have to go through the stages of the sea and the sky? Say so you look at your garment and you think of God. The answer, presumably, is that Associative connections do not work directly. You have to go stage by stage. Perhaps these are even subconscious connections. You look at your garment, which has the color blue. This reminds you of the sea. The sea reminds you of the sky. And the sky reminds you of God. The garment does not look like the sky. It looks like the sea. These are stages of rising above your physical experience to get to spiritual associations. It's purely associative imagination, something which might even work subconsciously to some extent. The function of the mitzvah is that you shall remember, and your remembering goes through stages of remembering. This is different in the case of sukkah. In sukkah, you are sitting somewhere. You're not looking at anything in particular. A sukkah can be any shape, size, or color. The purpose of sukkah is that you shall know. This is a fundamental difference. Notice in the psukim, we say in the parasha of tzitzit, "Leman tizkaru va'asitem et kol mitzvotai v'yitem kedoshim lelokechem." In order that you shall remember and do all the mitzvot. The purpose of the mitzvah is that you shall remember. In the case of Tfilin, or the case of sukkah, we do not say that the purpose is in order to remember. We say, for example, in the case of sukkah, in order that your generations shall know. 
Not that they shall remember. There is no associative remembrance here. It is rather an experience of leaving the house that causes us to teach our children and to be aware ourselves of the ideas connected with Yitziat Mitzrayim, that God took us out of Egypt and took us through the wilderness um, with incredible hashkacha and taking care of us, whether it is Ananei Kavod or Sukkot Mamash. This difference we can also find in the mitzvah of Tefillin. There, as we have said, it does not say, in order that you shall remember. It says, it shall be a remembrance between your eyes, in order that the Torah shall be in your mouth. And this connects to a fundamental difference between tzitzit and tefillin. In the case of tzitzit, the purpose is to remember. You look at something. There's a cognitive element, continuously. However, in the case of tefillin, you never read the parashiyot. Very few people have ever read the parashiyot of their tefillin. Although you should open them to check them, perhaps. Very few people actually are aware of what's inside their tefillin. Or if they are aware, they certainly don't read it. And this actually is not a criticism, but rather, this is the halakha. If you take a look in the Rambam on Hilchot tefillin, first parak, he says like this. In the other cases, mezuzah and the Sefer Torah, it is obligatory to make markings in the parchment in order to write specifically straight and it be particularly readable. However, in tefillin it is not necessary to line the parchment because they are covered anyway. And this is developed by Rabbeinu Tam in Gemara Menachot, page Lamed Bet, Amud Bet, in Tosfot Dibro Amatchil Ha, where he explains that this is because there is no necessity to have particular beautification of mitzvot, Hidur mitzvah, in cases where it is unseen. Now, while this is a machloket between Rabbeinu Tam and Rabbi Yudah Hasid, still, this teaches us a lot about the nature of uh, tefillin, that just as the Rambam teaches us, tefillin are different to other mitzvot that, are re- that have ri- writing, in that the writing in tefillin are not supp- is not for reading. It is just perhaps as an amulet, something which you are supposed to know of the existence. You know of the writing, but you actually never read it. And of course, it's closed in a sealed box, which is sewn together, and you cannot possibly keep the mitzvah to fill in if you open it. You have to keep it closed in order to do the mitzvah. You will have to reconnect uh, the box in order to uh, fulfill the mitzvah again. This is different to mezuzah, which theoretically you could read every, every day when you walk through the door. And you ask yourself, in this case, if there is supposed to be some kind of remembrance, how there is possibly a remembrance in something that you actually never read. Presumably the answer is the following that this is a third kind of remembrance. The mitzvah is not that you shall remember. The mitzvah is that the Torah shall be in your mouth because it's a remembrance. It's something that you put on your hand and over, on your head between your eyes as a remembrance that you do not read. You are simply aware of the content and you internalize the content out of your awareness. This is a third kind of remembrance. One where the mitzvah is not to remember, but to internalize the meaning because of the writing. Leman tiyeh 
Torah Hashem I'm aware that what I'm saying is slightly different to the way it appears in the Torah and the Shulchan Aruch, where the mitzvah seems to be to remember, but that uh, is it some kind of a difference, which presumably comes from the different way you might understand the pasuk. If so, we have three different kinds of mitzvot that are related to remembrance. Those which associative, cognitive movements, perhaps subconsciously, are involved. That is the mitzvah of tzitzit. One which is connected to your placing, leaving your house, and being aware of your physical state. And that is the mitzvah of sukkah. And the third case, mitzvah of tefillin, is a mitzvah where you are simply aware uh, of something that is written on you, and the purpose is a certain kind of internalization, bringing a certain sense into you of what that means that you are putting such parshiot, such uh, messages uh, on your body every day. Now this relates to a general question of the infusion of meaning into mitzvot. To what extent can external meaning be added to the keeping of mitzvot. This is a machloket, generally speaking, in halacha and in Jewish thought between various positions in the Rishonim and in the Achronim, particularly explicit in the Rishonim, as to whether there is value to infusing meaning into physical action. Let's clarify what we mean. There is no question whatsoever that there is value to internalization thought and any cognitive and even emotional addition to mitzvot generally, in relation to mitzvot which are connected to thought and internalization, like, for example, prayer and kriyachma, etc. The question arises in physical mitzvot, mitzvot where the whole aspect of the mitzvah is a physical praxis, a question of action physical enterprise. Now, the Chovot al-Vavot, while he takes an incredibly extreme approach on the importance of internalization when you are doing any action which is involved in spirituality, like, for example, prayer, he calls them cases where we consider there to be Chovot ha-Gufot v'halavavot yachtav, both an obligation of the body and of the heart, and in this sense, they are added to chovot halvavot bilvad, like love and fear of God, where there is only the obligation of the heart. In the third category, that is to say, those mitzvot which are chovot ha'evarim bilvad, only an obligation for your body, for your limbs, such as, for example, sukkah, lulav, tzitzit, mezuzah, as he brings explicitly, he claims there is no necessity or perhaps no meaning or value to adding any kind of internalization or cognitive aspect to the mitzvah beyond a general awareness when you begin it that you are keeping the mitzvah. This he explains in Chovot al-Vavot Sha'ar Cheshbon Nefesh Perek Gimel, where he explains there are three kinds of mitzvot, and he says explicitly, Chovot ha'evarim bilvad ein lalev bahen shum hachnasa. There is no value or meaning to internalization when you are doing physical actions. In this sense, there is a fundamental difference for the Chovot al-Vavot between mitzvot where there is some kind of spiritual meaning 
to mitzvot, the majority of mitzvot, and it is important that the case of tzitzit was explicit for him as a case of chovot ha'evarim bilvad, which seems to clash somewhat with what it says in the tour. A particular and very explicit disagreement to this comes out of the hakdama, the introduction to the Sefer Beit HaBchira of the Meiri, where he goes to great lengths to explain that even according to the position that mitzvot lotzichot kavana, that is to say it is possible to keep mitzvot without cognitive awareness that you are doing it at all, very little value would inhere in such a mitzvah. In fact, almost no value at all. And you would get very little reward from doing such a mitzvah, if any at all, even according to that position. And he continues to argue that in all mitzvot, the value of the mitzvah depends entirely on how much you involve yourself cognitively, emotionally, in what you are doing. And he explains this to Sefta in this manner. Depending on how much you feel, your emotion, God will give you reward for your action. However it is, when you keep a mitzvah, not with good intention or particular intention at all, whether or not you have kept the mitzvah, the value of the mitzvah will depend entirely on your intentions. Such explanations are explicit also in the works of Rav Achonon Basaman and Achron, who deals with these issues halachically, where he explains at length that there are different aspects to a mitzvah, and that even if you manage to keep a mitzvah without awareness, it is only a certain aspect of the mitzvah which you have fulfilled, not other aspects of the mitzvah. Rabbi Avram ben Arambam takes this argument even further in Hamaspik Lovde Hashem, Perek Halicha B'chukot Torah, where he argues that both particular awareness and remembrance and taking the idea slightly further and also actually even doing actions which express these ideas further than the obligation of the Torah are all part of the keeping of a mitzvah. However, this doesn't appear just in Jewish thought but also in halakha to some extent. The Ketav Sofer in dealing with mitzvot tzuchot kavana presents in the Gemara an explanation which is entirely based or certainly parallel to the arguments of the Chovot Halvavot. Basically, you divide between completely different kinds of mitzvot, and he even claims that this is the explanation both in Rabbeinu Yonah and the Rambam, that certain mitzvot necessitate and demand a cognitive element, whereas other mitzvot do not. And in which case, we shall see a general distinction between two types of mitzvot. Those mitzvot which are like tefillin and those mitzvot which are unlike tefillin. Where the important thing is that you do the action, like for example eating matzah. This is a general argument which can be to some extent based in the words of the Gemara where it seems quite explicit that there are two types of mitzvot. The second group, those which involve internalization, 
seem to be connected to the mitzvah of Tkiat Shofar, where it is explicit in the Torah that we have Zichron Torah, remembering as a part of the mitzvah. This is in Rosh Hashanah, Kafchet, Amud Aleph and Amud Bet. And this was taken <coughs> quite explicitly in the Rambam as two separate types of mitzvot, according to some understandings. Those mitzvot which are only action-based and those where cognitive and emotional aspects are internal to the mitzvah, in which case they are similar to mitzvot like tefillah. Somebody, by the way, who says this quite explicitly in the case of tefillin is the Shut Beit HaLevi, who actually brings this as a slight problem for himself. However, there's somebody called the Shut Ramat in the 19th century who argues that you can distinguish between mitzvot where they are physical, but they are basically in the category of emotional mitzvot, and mitzvot which are actually the inverse, where they are seem to be connected to the mind, but actually they are not necessarily so. And he moves the distinctions quite a bit, and this way solves several problems. Bukhorofen, whichever way we look at it, it's quite clear that the mitzvah of shofar is put as a mitzvah connected to internalization. Like the Rambam says, that there's some kind of meaning in the mitzvah of shofar, that you are aware of being woken up, that you wake yourself up and come close to God. In which case, we come to the conclusion that the mitzvah of tefillin basically represents a whole type in the mitzvah of the Torah, a type which is connected to internalization and infusion of meaning, a question of awareness. And in the case of tefillin, the whole purpose and whole meaning of the mitzvah might be in awareness. You might only keep the mitzvah bidi eved, ex post facto, if you did not have any level of internalization, like the Mishnah Bura claims also in the eighth um, siman of the Shulchan Aruch, on the basis of the Bach. This might help us understand the Gemara at the beginning of Brachot, that talks about how God also puts on tefillin. And in God's tefillin, it is his closeness with the Jewish people, which is written explicitly, rather than our connection with him. This gives us the impression that tefillin is really a question of trying to express a certain closeness and trying to internalize it. It's a question of yedidut, of being beloved and close. And for perhaps for this reason, it is also called pe'er, as it says in Yechezkel and brought explicitly in the Gemara, that somebody who is in mourning does not wear tefillin because it is a pe'er. It is some kind of crown or grandeur. It is a way of showing your closeness to that which you love, the one that you love, and therefore God wears tefillin, of course, in a metaphorical sense, that relate to his closeness to us, where we put on tefillin that relate to our closeness to him. Perhaps the fact that the mitzvah of tefillin comes right at the beginning of the world of mitzvot that are expressed in the Torah and is explicit in this manner to be involved with remembrance. While you might not have a cognitive memory like in the case of sukkah and you might not have an active physical involvement like in the case of sukkah, uh, sorry, and the case of sukkah, the case of tefillin 
is one where, because of an automatic remembrance, it is put on your head as a remembrance, you internalize something. And it is pivotal and crucial that it comes before the rest of the mitzvah, before the Torah is even given. We are shown how to remember what our relationship to the Torah shall be through the mitzvah of tefillin that precedes the giving of the Torah, precedes Mount Sinai. Already, before we leave Egypt, we are given the parsha of trying to internalize and infuse meaning in the mitzvah of tefillin, trying to be aware of how God wants us to feel close to Him, and through putting a remembrance continually on ourselves, remember the coming out of the Mitzrayim and our closeness to God. However, furthermore, the Mitzvah of Tefillin, as we have said, represents a whole type of Mitzvah, which is the Mitzvot of internalization, of infusing of meaning, where the Machloket generally, between whether Mitzvot need or do not need internalization as an inherent part of the mitzvah does not apply because the mitzvah of tefillin is intrinsically one of infusion of meaning, of internalization and coming close to God through being aware of what you are doing. Perhaps actually the mitzvah of tefillin teaches us that there is no difference between different types of mitzvot. All mitzvot really ultimately need an infusion of meaning. Like, for example, we have in the Nefesh Achayim and in the Tanya, that while Talmud Torah might be different on, in some level, generally speaking, all mitzvot become greater, like we saw in the Me'iri, because of an infusion of meaning, an awareness that you add to the mitzvah, which actually defines the meaning of the mitzvah, makes it meaningful. Mitzvot are not simply rituals. Mitzvot are coming close to God through particular actions that you do, which are supposed to bring meaning into your life. And you are supposed to bring meaning into the action in order that the action shall bring meaning into your life. To some extent, this might be what the Torah is teaching us in the mitzvah of tefillin, that you shall internalize the mitzvah, that the purpose of the mitzvah is to infuse meaning into your life, and you are supposed to infuse meaning in the mitzvah in order that it really does bring you close to God. All the mitzvot, to some extent, are learned from the mitzvah of tefillin, which, for very important reasons, therefore, precedes the rest of the mitzvot and is given right at the beginning as a type in order to teach a general argument that mitzvot are connected to internalization, to trying to raise yourself close to God and bring the Torah of God into your mouth and into your awareness. You have been listening to Rav Shlomo Dov Elzin, Pashat HaShavua for Pashat Bo. And now for the Halacha Yomit. Yesterday we began to talk about Kriyat Shema. We talked about whether it's the Oraita or the Rabbanan. Today we're going to talk about the Zman, the time when Kriyat Shema can be said. In terms of Kriyat Shema itself, L'Chathila, one may say Kriyat Shema from the time that is defined as when one can recognize one's friend from a distance of four amot, or four cubits, from two meters away. The way the post can define a friend is not a very, very, very good friend, who you could probably recognize in pitch blackness, but someone who is an acquaintance, somebody who you know. Remember that they're talking about outside with no artificial light. And the amount of light available from 
the coming sunrise allows you to recognize someone's silhouette, someone's uh, a friend, someone's face, even even outside. There's a machloket, there's a dispute what that means in terms of, of real hours. It's somewhat less than an hour. There are different opinions. Halach Lamaisa, it's like most people would say about 15 minutes before before sunrise. That is the time when you can even the Chathila say Kriyachma. However, that's not really true. Why? Because there's another halacha that says that one should be Somech Geula Zetfila. One should join together, co join Geula, which is the Bracha after Kriyachma of Al Yisrael, and Tfila. It's not a halacha. You don't have to do it. It's highly, highly, highly recommended. The language of the Gemara is that anyone who puts together, who combines, Somech Gulad is Ben He's guaranteed a place in the world to come. It sounds like a very high recommendation, and one should definitely try to do so. So, therefore, it's still correct to say that the Chatechil of the time of Kriyashma is from Mishayakiv, the time when you can recognize a friend. But in order to fulfill Kriyashma and Tfilah, in the in the optimum manner, then one has to say Kriyachma later. Why? Because the time for Tefillah, Lichatrila, is only after sunrise. So if you would say Kriyachma an hour before sunrise and Shmonesra at sunrise, you're not going to be able to put them two together and and be Somech and, and co join them. So therefore optimally one should say Kriyachma slightly before sunrise, say five minutes before sunrise, finish close to sunrise. And then begin Shmonesra immediately after sunrise. That is the kind of davening which we call Vatikan. Vatikan would do exactly that. They would say Kriyachma as early as possible and still allow themselves to connect Kriyachma to Shmonesra, which is immediately after sunrise. Bidhi Eved, if one cannot say Kriyachma at the proper time, because one's going on a journey and it's impossible to say it, one, one begins to, to travel the people you're traveling with won't let you stop or it's in a dangerous place or something like that, then under those sorts of circumstances, one can say Kriyachma from Alot HaShacha, from the, from the break of dawn, which is, according to most Palskim, an hour and a quarter before sunrise or slightly, perhaps a little bit earlier, according to the Gura, it could be even an hour and a half before sunrise. But that is Bidi Evet, only where one is under special circumstances. Otherwise, one should wait until the time of Mashiach, slightly later, 15 minutes before sunrise, and ideally, one should wait closer to sunrise in order to have the, the, the special way of davening, of Vatikin, Kriyachma, and immediately Tefillah. So, that's for the early risers. The Rabbeinu Yana and its quoted Lalacha say that if one misses that time, one should still try to say Kriyachma as early as possible. The Gemara says that one should have one should wake up the sun and not have the sun wake you up. In other words, Kriyachma is, is accepting the yoke of heaven. And time should not go by. And therefore, one should say it as early as possible. So even if one doesn't say it at sunrise, because you don't tend to get up at 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, one shouldn't put it off. So as close as possible to sunrise is still better. The end of the acceptable time for Kriyachma is Shalosh Sha'alt. There, is, there are two opinions in the Mishnah. One says that one has to say it by sunrise, either before and up to sunrise itself, which would be difficult for most modern people. But uh, the halacha is like Rabbi Yeshua, who says that it's till three hours, meaning a quarter of the day. When we say hours, 
we mean what's called Sha'od Zmaniyot. The daylight is divided into 12. Each hour is one twelfth of the day. On the equinox, that would be exactly 60 minutes. But say in the winter where the day is only 10 hours long, so each hour becomes proportionally smaller. That's according to most poskim. So therefore, three hours is a quarter of the day. If it was a day of the equinox and the sun rose at 6 o'clock, then that would mean 9 o'clock. There are a minority of poskim who think that when Rabbi Yeshua said three hours, he meant the beginning of the third hour, meaning only two hours, which would be 8 o'clock on, on this ideal day. But all, most poskim, the Rambam and the Shulchan Aruch and the Mama and the Tur, say that it means to the end of three hours, to the end of a quarter of a day, and therefore one has a longer period of time in which one can say Kriyat Shema, and afterwards you really pass the time. You're missing out on the mitzvah of, of saying Kriyat Shema. Uh, we'll come back to this tomorrow, we'll discuss whether or not that's Midyavaita, Midyavanan, and whether there's any difference, uh, whether that makes any difference at all. So therefore, again, to sum up, the time of Kriyat Shema is from Mishayakir, 40 minutes before sunrise, ideally later than that, closer to sunrise, and one can say Kriyat Shema until one quarter of the day, three Zmaniot hours, three proportional hours after sunrise. Again, in, uh, in certain seasons, where the sun rises early, uh, the end of Zman Kriyat Shema, depending on where you are and what your longitude and latitude are, uh, the end of Zman Kriyat Shema could be close to 8.15 or 8 o'clock. In, in more extreme uh, latitudes, it could be even, could be even earlier. And very often, it's true, that there are shuls, especially on Shabbat, people want to get up late, that in the, uh, the wintertime are saying Kriyat Shema after the time. The shul, the minion, is saying Kriyat Shema. If you start having at 9 o'clock, you're going to miss Kriyat Shema, the proper time, which is, is, is really incorrect, because it's Mitzvah Diyavaita, according to most poskims, we said yesterday, and it's supposed to be said at a certain time. So again, we'll discuss tomorrow whether that din, the law that has to be said by a certain time, is Diyavaita or Diyavanan, but nonetheless, it's true. One, one is supposed to say Kriyachma by that hour, and afterwards, uh, according to the Mishnah, you're losing out on the fulfillment of this of this mitzvah. That's the Halachah Yimit for today, and that is our Shir for today. Uh, tomorrow on Friday, we'll have a special Erev Shabbat program. This is Ezra Bik for KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah, Udvar Hashem Yerushalayim.